This episode of the Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by Lexable and their digital media community, Police One. Access free COVID-19 policies, courses, and additional resources through Lexapol's Coronavirus Learning and Policy Center, available at coronavirus.lexapol.com. Welcome, listeners, to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host for today, Jim Dudley. Thank you for clicking in. Today, I'm talking with Professor Jeffrey Snipes, a JD, a PhD, and an author of several books, including Vold's Theoretical Criminology. He also co-authored The Valley of the Shadow of Death about the gang massacre of Kermit Alexander's family. Kermit Alexander was a uh, NFL football player, uh, played for San Francisco 49ers, uh, the LA Rams, and in 1984, a South Central gang uh, murdered his uh, family. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us today, uh, Professor Snipes. It's a pleasure to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Well, today we're talking about uh, COVID-19 and the effects of COVID-19 on crime, the crime rates, the crime trends. And we're going to be talking about uh, the future as affected by COVID-19. Will they be lasting effects? What are lessons we could learn from uh, the the amazing numbers that we're seeing uh, these days? And I'd like to refer to a couple of uh, news articles that have come out over the last week. Um, CBS Bay Area uh, reporter Dave Lynn reported on April 12th that uh, in the Bay Area, crime is down significantly. Between Oakland and San Francisco, Oakland reported 238 violent crimes, including four homicides, down 26% from the same time last year when the city saw 300 violent crimes with seven homicides. San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott said violent crime declined by 27% in the first two weeks of the shelter-in-place orders. In San Jose, it was even more drastic. Violent crimes were down 45% in the first week that people stayed home. Well, Professor Snipes, these numbers are huge, but it's a really short period of time where we're we're trying to gauge the lasting effects of the shelter-in-place orders. Uh, not every state has ordered them, but in the states that have, we have seen significant reporting down, not to say that crime itself is down, but that reporting is down. And, and what do you have to say about that? Well, I mean, I think some of this stuff is very obvious. In terms of the Bay Area statistics you're talking about, um, the you know, the six Bay Area counties and then eventually more than that um, were some of the first and some of the most strenuous restrictions in the United States. So it's not surprising that you're going to see some short-term pretty sharp declines um, in those cities. Um, Part of it's going to be due to uh, more underreporting, but you know, a lot of it's just due to simply there's not the opportunities when you can't really be on the streets and it's pretty noticeable if you have a crowd of people on the streets during a, a shelter in place, then there are not going to be opportunities for them to uh, to be committing those crimes. You know, and then if you look at some of the other states, you see, you know, you see some 
some interesting trends. Los Angeles, for example, crime overall down 30% the week of March 15th compared to that of last year. Um, New York, 20% down over the last two weeks compared to the control of the same time period last year. But then you look at places like Chicago, where crime as a whole may be down, but shootings actually went up. So for the week before the stay-at-home order, um, it was 25 shootings. The week after, it was 41. The second week after, it was 40. The same time period in 2019 um, was only, I believe, 28. Uh, so in, in shootings, you know, it's, it's hard to um, unreport those because it's usually going to be picked up by um, a shot, uh, you know, a shot detector, that type of thing. Right. And, and one of the reasons I emphasized that the numbers of reported crime was down was just what you're saying, that in some cases, uh, in a homicide, for instance, um, unless you're really good at it, it's hard to hide the body. So the bodies are going to turn up. People are generally going to call about shots fired in their neighborhood. But in the deadly cities, in the cities like Chicago and Baltimore, uh, you still see um, the relentless uh, violent crime persisting. So in Baltimore, um, in the first days of the shelter in place, for five days, um, the Baltimore mayor declared a state of emergency related to the coronavirus, they didn't record a single homicide. Well, that didn't last very long because since March 23rd, the city has had 11 killings in 12 days with at least 18 more people shot and wounded. March finished with 18 homicides and Baltimore has had a track record of over 300 homicides for several years in a row, averaging anywhere from 310 to 300 and I think in 2019, there were 348. In 2016, there were 318 homicides. So those numbers don't lie. I think you might agree that the, the other numbers, the numbers that come from on-view crimes, crimes observed by police who may stop and take action, or on-view situations where police were likely to jump out of the car, take on individuals, make arrests, or conduct investigations from their own observations, that those numbers are down significantly because I think chiefs of police are asking their officers to quarantine even within their own vehicles. Sure, and that makes sense. And so, you know, also when we're talking about something like um, arrests made for, for drugs, for example, um, so fewer people on the street, fewer obvious drug deals being made, but then also, as you say, if we're talking about uh, law enforcement being told only to uh, arrest and really kind of the more serious types of offenses, they're going to let whoever is still on the street um, dealing, dealing drugs in kind of a low-level basis, they're going to kind of let that slide um, or maybe cite them out. Yeah, and, and the other side of the coin, so, so we know about uh, unreported crime or crime that sort of takes a backseat to a pandemic where people are afraid, people, people are sheltered in place, not likely to report nuisance crimes or crimes that may not 
reach a level of concern when they're talking about literal life and death situations with the, the pandemic that we're, we're seeing now. But uh, coincidentally, April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. And we already know that the numbers of reported cases of child abuse are down because of the nature of the crime, the shame, the guilt, the fear that's associated with child abuse. And so now add to it shelter-in-place orders where you have children that are locked up inside a house with the potential abusers, number one, but also they're not getting out to school, they're not getting out on the weekends or out of the home, and they're not seeing the mandated reporters, the school teachers, the school nurses, the school resource officers, or anyone else who might uh, take notice of a new injury or serious signs of neglect. So uh, what do we say about the, the child abuse? And then we could talk a little bit about the domestic violence cases as well. They're very similar in nature in the, in the low end um, potential reporting for these kinds of crimes. Yeah, I mean, there's a cluster of crime types along those lines that are going to be extremely problematic. Child abuse um, through you know parents or guardians is definitely one. Um, domestic violence is going to be another. Um, and I also worry about um, child sex trafficking victims because you know when they're you know when they're put out in public, at least there's a chance that somebody might flag it, flag it. Um, but when they're stored inside during a time like this, they really have no redress for their situation. And also, uh, to some extent, elder abuse may be heightened. And in all these cases, we're, we're going to know essentially very little about the uptick because of the inability um, for, for these. I mean, these are already crimes where the reporting level is pretty low anyway. And so now we're going to be dealing with an even lower level. Yeah, a couple of statistics on child abuse. Every year, more than 3 million reports of child abuse are made in the United States with more than 6 million children involved. Uh, a report of child abuse is made every 10 seconds. Children who are victims of child abuse and neglect are about nine times more likely to become involved in criminal activity. On average, more than 70% of the children who die as a result of child abuse or neglect are two years of age or younger. Clearly, kids who can't pick up the phone and call themselves, um, again, stuck in these situations with the abusers. Uh, it'll be interesting to see when we come out of the shelter-in-place orders, um, the aftermath of uh, people being sequestered together in these abusive situations. So you mentioned uh, trafficking, which is already underground, but wouldn't trafficking be uh, impacted by the low level of uh, transportation, uh, the, the low level of uh, vehicles on the street, that uh, they might be more suspicious uh, traveling on a roadway or, or be inspected by um, roadside inspections where in the past they might have been sort of caught up in the crowds? It would be. And, you know, I, you know the trafficking is done predominantly through, these days trafficking is done predominantly through um, internet-based ordering. And so you're right, somebody's got to drive to wherever the child's being kept. And to the extent that that's going down, 
the number of transactions will be going down. On the other hand, um, now you have these situations where the trafficker is pretty much with whatever kids or, or trafficking victims are in their safe houses or wherever they're keeping them. And I, and I worry that the physical abuse or the emotional and psychological abuse might be heightened while the traffickers not making any money might take that out on, on the victims. Yeah, it's a, it is a grim situation. Um, we, we shall see what the numbers look like in the aftermath. Um, so what, what are the lessons we can take forward? Again, we're, we're talking about anywhere from three to six weeks of shelter in place. We're seeing some, some drastic number drops. Is, is it possible that any of these will come out on the other end, any of these sort of draconian um, rules and regulations about uh, curfews or shelters in place? Will we see places like Baltimore or Chicago continue to use uh, curfews or, or restrictions in areas of town as a, as a strategy to reduce violent crime? I think, Jim, that it really depends on the nature of how long this um, virus is dragged out in terms of its uh, impact on uh, economic shutdowns. If you know, if we are gradually lowering, or you know, if we're gradually opening up the economy and this goes fairly well, I I seriously doubt that we're going to be carrying these strategies or tactics into the future. On the other hand, if it turns into one of these things where this comes in waves and there are periodic shutdowns for months or even years, then I could see a, a, a dra these draconian um, tactics perhaps ending up to be kind of a regular part of our crime fighting strategies. Well, we shall see. I, I certainly hope that the, um, the institutions like PERF and IACP and the American Society of Evidence-Based Policing take up the, the issue and see what worked, see which had the most impact, and, and talk about building that into police strategies to keep violent crime down. In, in summary, anything you'd like to add, uh, Professor yeah, Snipes? I would just say one thing more. I think what's interesting to me is maybe the long-term impacts of kind of the, the changing social structure in dealing with this. Um, what we've seen during this virus is that people as a community have been becoming a lot more vigilant, a lot more cautious. People are looking to see what others are doing. If they're violating shelter in places, um, people are, you know, are, are reporting others. And as we know from the from criminological theory, we know that not just formal social control, for example, police, but informal social control is really impactful on crime rates. And if this pandemic ends up with more, more cautious people, um, typical victims being more aware of their surroundings, um, more have more heavy guardianship, not just police, but communities, then I think that there's a possibility that we may have uh, longer term reductions in crime via kind of the change in the crime triangle. There'll st certainly still be willing or motivated offenders, 
Uh, there may be fewer uh, typical victims, and there may be changes in that guardianship um, on the third prong of that triangle. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And in that vein, I would also um, uh, ask our listeners, uh, when they're responding to calls for service, keep that eye out and look for indicators when there is a child present on a scene that you're responding to. A couple of uh, resources for you. The child, the National Child Abuse Hotline number is 1-800-4-A-CHILD. 1-800-4-A-CHILD. And additional prevention tools and training materials can be found on partnersinprevention.org. Partners in Prevention, all one word, lowercase.org. And April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. Uh, do what you can. Save a life. Stay healthy. Stay safe out there. And thank you, Professor Snipes, for um, appearing on the show. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate it.